Amen. Right, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, tonight we find ourselves in chapter number 15, and it's a long chapter. We're not going to hit the entire chapter in one night. We're going to split it up into at least two sermons, maybe even three sermons. But the, the, the chapter is about the resurrection. There, you know, there's a lot of chapters that have themes. This uh, chapter has a theme of the resurrection, and it deals with two aspects of the resurrection. We're, we're going to deal with the first one, which is about the resurrection of Christ, and then the second part of the chapter deals with our resurrection, and we'll talk about how those things are connected uh, a little bit this week, more next week. But uh, the Apostle Paul begins by talking about the gospel, and there's a reason why he gives us this chapter, and I'm going to explain that to you, but I want you to just look down at verse number one to begin with. The Bible says this, Moreover, brethren, I want you to notice this word. He says, I declare, I declare unto you the gospel. The first thing we see from the apostle here is the gospel declared. He says, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He begins by explaining to them that the gospel is how they got saved. The gospel is what saved them. He said, I declared unto you the gospel. I preached unto you the gospel. Ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Notice verse 2. By which also ye are saved. How are you saved? By the preaching of the gospel, by the hearing of the gospel, by the receiving of the gospel, by the standing of the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, Notice verse 3, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So he says, look, all I'm doing is delivering to you what I also received, which is what? Which is the gospel. And you need to understand that the declaration of the gospel is this, that the gospel is what saves us. We preach the gospel, they receive the gospel, and they get saved. He says there in verse 2, by which also ye are saved. Safe. Now, I want you to notice, and this is all kind of introduction, but notice verse 2 again, and notice what it says there. It says in verse number 2, "...by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." Do you see that word vain there? A lot of times, false teachers and preachers will use this verse to try to say, see, if you don't continue in the Christian life, if you don't stand in the gospel, then your belief might be in vain. You know, you've got to do the right works, and you've got to live the right life. You've got to repent of your sins, you know, or, or do righteously, or you might be believing in vain. You know, it might, be, it might not uh, give you any profit. There might not be the reward of the resurrection at the end. But I want you to understand, when you study this chapter, chapter in its context, it becomes very clear that the word vain there, believing in vain, is not a reference to the belief itself. It's not that the, the, the belief itself was bad or that the person believing didn't do enough. The believe in vain there has to do is if you believed in something that was not true. And what he's saying is, you know, if we believed in a resurrection that was not true, then our belief would be in vain. Let me prove that to you. Uh, skip down to verse number 14. Notice the word vain there in verse 2 and skip down to verse 14. We're going to hit all of the verses from verse 1 through Verse 23, but just skip down to verse 14 uh, just to make the point. Notice what he says in verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, okay, that's, that's the context. And here's why he's saying this. Let me just explain to you this chapter, and it'll make more sense when we deal with the second part next week. But in the Corinthian church, there were people who were teaching that there is no resurrection. And this is not 
unheard of. There's many people today who believe that there is no resurrection, and we'll talk more about that later. But even in the times of the Bible, there were the Sadducees who did not believe that there was a resurrection. And this doctrine had came in to the church at Corinth, and people were teaching that there is no resurrection. And Paul is going to prove to them that there is a resurrection. Now, uh, you know, they're talking about our resurrection, that we won't resurrect one day, that there will be no rapture, that once we die, you know, that's it. The eternal state might be a spiritual state, but there's no bodily resurrection. And Paul begins by explaining to them that there is a resurrection, and our resurrection is connected to the resurrection of Christ. But he begins by just proving the resurrection of Christ. And in verse 14, he says, and if Christ be not risen, again, he's not saying that Christ isn't risen, he's just giving the hypothetical question. He says, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching, notice this word, vain, and your faith is also vain. So notice, when it says that ye believed in vain in verse 2, it's not that they believed wrong or that they didn't do something they should have done in their faith. He's saying, if we believe vain because if what these people are saying that Christ is not risen, that would make our faith also vain. Look at verse 17. He says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sin. So when people try to tell you, oh no, you know, you have vain faith because you didn't live right. No, the only thing that would make our faith vain is if Christ did not resurrect from the grave. And that's what Paul sets out in this chapter to prove the, the he's proving the resurrection of Christ. And in fact, tonight's sermon is entitled, The Reliability of the Resurrection. Why we can be confident in the resurrection is why the Apostle Paul writes this chapter and writes these words for us. So notice, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, he begins with declaring the gospel. The gospel is what saves us. And then he also defines the gospel. Notice verse number three. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, also, uh, first of all, that which I also received, how, now notice, he's going to define the gospel for us, how, number one, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and number two, that he was buried, and number three, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, according to the word of God. And look, we must always allow the Bible to define words for us. We must always allow the Bible to serve as its own dictionary. According to the Bible, the gospel is the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, the word gospel means good news or good tidings. And, and, and you say, well, you know, is, I, I thought it was good news. You Now you're saying it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Is there any more good news than the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Is there any more good news than the fact that you are a sinner condemned to hell, but God sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins, proving who He was through the resurrection? So we see that He did finds the gospel, and he declares the gospel. And again, you need to understand that Paul begins this chapter by defending the fact that the resurrection is true, because some people were teaching that it was not true. Look, look at verse 12, just real quickly again. 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve. he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, notice what he says, How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So again, he's dealing with this problem, because heresy has came into the church, people are saying that there is no resurrection. And by the way, just realize this, people always are trying to bring in false doctrine into any church. You know, it's not just the church at Corinth, it's Verity Baptist Church. There's any church that's doing anything for God, people are always going to bring in false doctrines, and it's the job of the man of God, it's the job of the spiritual leader to stand up and correct it. 
You know, and that's what he's doing. He's writing a very specific, about a very specific subject because he says, some among you say that there is no resurrection. So he's going to explain to them the reliability of the resurrection. Go back to verse number 5. Let's get into the sermon. He begins by talking about these unlikely witnesses. These unlikely witnesses. Now, I want you to notice what he says in verse 5. He says, and that he... So he just got done telling us about the, the definition of the gospel, right? What's the definition of the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now he's going to explain to us about the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. He says in verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas. Now, Cephas is another name for Simon Peter. He's talking about Peter. And I want you to notice that he gives us a list here, not of every eyewitness that saw Christ, but he gives us a list of unlikely eyewitnesses or people who we would not, we would be surprised, we would be surprised that they are standing up and witnessing and being witnesses of the resurrection. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what you need to understand. He brings up Peter first for a couple of reasons. Number one, Peter's the leader, and he always comes up first and, and lists and things like that. But here's what you need to understand. Cephas, or Simon, or Peter, was a quitter. Remember, it was Peter who denied Christ. It was Peter who said, I go a-fishing and quit on Christ. It was Peter who did not have the boldness to be able to tell a maid that he even knew Christ. When they asked him and said, weren't you with him? Weren't you one of his disciples? He denied and he lied and he cursed and he quit on God. And he was, uh, and, and Peter is not the person who you would expect, you know, 50 days later to be standing up and preaching the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Because if you remember, they, they said when they looked at Peter and they looked at the apostles, they said that they saw their boldness and they knew that they had been with Christ. They knew that they had not, not that they had been with Christ for three plus years, but that they'd been with Christ after the resurrection. Go to Luke chapter 24 just real quickly. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 15. That's our text for tonight. But go to Luke 24. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 24. We've got the quitter Cephas, right? And I say that with all due respect to Peter. <laughs> I don't want him to punch me in the face when I get to heaven or something. <laughs> Obviously a great man of God, but this is why Paul brings him up. Because he's an unlikely eyewitness. He's not someone that you would have expected to stand up and boldly proclaim the resurrection. But see, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, He appeared to Peter. Luke 24 and verse 33 says this, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with Him, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And we don't know a lot about this, you know, uh, unique uh, uh, um, appointment that the resurrected Savior had with Simon, but we're told here that He appeared to Simon. And that's why Paul brings him up and says that He was seen of Cephas. But I want you to notice, keep your place there in Luke. We're going to come back to the Gospels, but go with me to Luke chapter 15, look at verse 5 again. Not only does he bring up the quitter, he also brings up the cowards, and that he was seen of Cephas, and then he says this, then of the twelve, then of the twelve. So he says, look, Cephas saw him, Peter saw him, 
Remember the guy that denied Christ? Remember the guy that got scared by a little, you know, uh, middle school girl and he couldn't stand up to a little girl and say, yes, I knew Jesus, yes, I've been with Jesus. Remember that guy? He is an eyewitness. But then he says, you know, the 12 were eyewitnesses. But remember the 12 at the death of Christ acted very cowardly. Go, go to Mark chapter 14. If you kept your place there in Luke, you're going to go back one book into the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 14. And let me just answer a question for you while you're turning there. Oftentimes people want to bring up 1 Corinthians 15.5 and say, oh, there's a contradiction here. It says that he was seen of the twelve, but Judas was already dead, and this was before they had appointed you know, the, the, the new apostle in Acts chapter 1. So there's a contradiction here. He wasn't, you know, he didn't appear to the 12, there was 11. Here's what you need to understand. They were called the 12. That is the title of the group. It's like today, you know, we talk about the Oakland A's, right? It's the, the team was called the 12. So, you know, when, when, when you're talking about a group, you know, one's missing or one's dead or one's not there, you don't necessarily have to acknowledge that. They're just referred to as the 12. And if you, if you look at the scripture, you'll see that they're often referred to as the 12, the 12, because there, there's an importance there of those 12, which is why in Acts chapter 1, they went, they moved to replace the one in the 12. Mark 14 and verse 48 Notice what the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against thieves with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Notice what the disciples did in verse 50. And they all forsook him and fled. So these guys, it's not like they were these brave, you know, courageous men that were standing with Jesus and there till his death. No, they forsook him and fled. These were unlikely eyewitnesses, yet these were the same men that stood up boldly and proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because they were eyewitnesses. So we've got, a, we've got an eyewitness here from a quitter and a denier. We've got eyewitness reports from a coward. Go back, keep your place there in Mark chapter 14, and go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6. Notice, we have an eyewitness report from foreigners. Now, this is my interpretation. We don't know for sure that these people were foreigners, but I believe they were foreigners, and I'll give you my reasons for that. First Corinthians 15, number 6. The Bible says this, After that, he was seen of above, notice, above 500 brethren at once. 500 brethren at one time saw the resurrected Savior, and, you know, you, you ask, why do you think these are foreigners? This is why I think they're foreigners, because a few chapters later, in Acts chapter 1, we have 120 in the upper room in Jerusalem. So there's obviously not 500 believers in Jerusalem or in Judea. Jesus had a big ministry to those outside of Israel, and I believe that he probably went and saw those believers Outside of Israel, for example, like in Samaria and places like that. Let me just, let's run a few verses and look at that. Keep, if you're there in Mark, go uh, to the book of John. So you're going to go past Luke into John and then keep your place in John because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Go to John chapter 4 and look at verse 39. John 4, 39. The Bible says this, And many of the Samaritans, this is after the encounter with the woman at the well, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, 
For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. And later on, we're told that even more people believed on him, not just for her words, but for his words. So notice that many people believed that were Samaritans. Go to John chapter number 12. You're there in John 4. Just flip a few pages over. John chapter number 12 and look at verse number 20. John chapter number 12 and look at verse number 20. The Bible says this, And there were certain Greeks... John 12, 20, and there are certain Greeks, those are our foreigners, those are our Gentiles, uh, Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. This is before the death of Christ. Notice verse 21. The same, talking about the Greeks, came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, notice what these Greek people show up, and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus, right? So while the Jews were rejecting him, the Greeks were embracing him, and that, of course, was a foreshadowing of things to come, right? And we see that Paul goes off and, and does great things with the, with the Gentiles. So I, I think that the 500 brethren that saw him at once were probably outside of Jerusalem, because then in Jerusalem we've got 120 uh, believers gathered in the upper room. But the point is this, whether they were in Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem, in Israel, out of Israel. The point is this. He was seen of a huge group at once, 500 brethren. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Keep your place there in John. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verse number 7. We have another eyewitness report here. So we've seen the eyewitness report of the quitter and the denier. And we've seen the eyewitness report of the cowards. And we've seen the eyewitness report of the foreigners. But we have another eyewitness report, and that is of the unbelieving brother. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, 7. After that, he was seen of James. Now, James here is referring to the half-brother of Christ. All right? Now, here's what you need to understand, and we could look at a lot of verses to prove this. I'm not going to do that. But if you kept your place in John, go to John chapter 7 and look at verse number 5. Here's what you need to understand. The brothers of Jesus, the half-brothers of Jesus, the brothers that were born to Joseph and Mary after the birth of Christ, did not believe on Jesus while he walked on this earth. They were not part of his followers. They were not part of his group. Just one verse to prove that. John 7 and verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. All right? In the context, if you look at the first four verses in that chapter, they're mocking him. And they're kind of, you know, railing on him about his ministry. And the Bible tells us, for neither did his brethren believe him. Now, here's what you need to understand. They did not believe on Jesus, all right, while he was alive. And you know, before you start faulting the, the, the physical brothers of Christ for not believing on him, you know, consider this. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he's God, right? I mean, you know, I can understand why the half-brothers of Jesus might have been, you know, a little confrontational or a little skeptical about Christ. I mean, imagine if you would have grown up with Jesus as your brother. Constantly hearing, why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, Jesus doesn't do this. You know, why don't you, you know, why don't you uh, be more like your brother, right? So these people, they didn't believe on him. But here's what you need to understand. The brothers of Christ did not believe on him and believe in his ministry the entire time from the moment he turned water into wine while he's resurrecting Lazarus, while he's healing people, while he's preaching great sermons, while he's feeding thousands of people. They did not believe on him. None of that convinced them to become followers of Christ. Yet, when you get to Acts chapter 1, in the upper room, we find the list of the people that are there. And you know who's listed there? All of the brothers of Christ. 
You say, what changed? Here's what changed. They watched their brother die on a cross. And then three days later, they talked to him. Amen. Three days later, they had a conversation with him. Three days later, they witnessed the resurrection of Christ. So Paul is explaining to us here, we've got some unlikely witnesses. We've got some people, these guys didn't get on board when everything was great and when Jesus was famous and when everybody was loving on him, but they got on board after the resurrection. Why? Because they witnessed it. Because they saw it. Then we have, uh, if you keep your place there in John, go back to 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 7. We have what I call the eyewitness of the silent 70. The silent 70. Notice verse 7 there. It says, after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Now, I don't have time to develop this. I preached an entire sermon about this not too long ago. But there are more than 12 apostles. And you can, you can study that out if you'd like or find the sermon I preached on it recently. Uh, but, you know, we've got the 12. And then you had more apostles over that. And I believe there was more than 70 apostles, you know, once we get into the book of Acts. But I, my opinion is that the 70 that were appointed, and you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 10.1, the Bible says this, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. Those 70 were probably all apostles. Because if you remember, first he chose the 12, and then later on he chose the 70, and he basically commissioned them to go do the same thing. You know, those 70 is probably what's being referred to as all of the apostles. Because first the 12 saw him, then, you know, uh, you, you know, the 500 saw him, then James saw him, and then we were told here that all of the other apostles saw him as well. And again, here's what you need to understand. These were the silent 70. Because where were these 70 when Jesus was being taken off to be crucified. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that they fled and forsook him, but they surely weren't saying much. They were silent. They thought it was done. They thought it was over. But yet, he appeared to all of the apostles. And then we have the last of the unlikely eyewitnesses. Look at verse 8. And last of all, and please understand this, in the Greek, that term last of all, you know what it means? It means last of all. What that means is that if somebody tells you, oh, I was in heaven for 30 minutes and watch my movie about it, they're lying to you. <laughs> I saw Jesus. He appeared to me. They're lying to you. You know, read my book. I saw Jesus. They're, they're, they're not telling you the truth. You say, how do you know that? Because last of all, he was seen of me, Paul says. So who was the last person to see the resurrected Savior? It was Paul. And the next time anyone sees him will be when everyone sees him coming in clouds with power and great glory. So, so if anybody wants to write a book and say, let me tell you about when I saw Jesus, just, just realize they're lying to you, because last of all, he was seen of me, and you say, why would Paul give himself as an unlikely eyewitness? Here's why, because he persecuted the church, because he was against the message of Christ. It says, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. That phrase, born out of due time, is basically Paul saying, I was late to the party. I missed the whole, you know, walking on water and resurrecting Lazarus. I wasn't there for that. I didn't believe that. In fact, I was against that. Notice verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. Why? And am not meet to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, uh, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. And I'm not preaching on this, but just realize this. The secret to success is laboring more abundantly than they all. 
Why was Paul the most successful apostle, though he was not meet to be called an apostle? Because he tells us here that he labored more abundantly than they all. And that is the secret to success, just in life. Labor more abundantly than all. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So why was Paul thrown in here as an unlikely eyewitness? Here's why. Because he actually did not believe in Jesus. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was so against Jesus and the movement of Jesus that he persecuted the church and put people to death. He said, what changed? Well, what changed is that one day on the road to Damascus, he became an eyewitness of the resurrected Savior. Now, go, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to understand this, and let me just say this. If you read the Gospels, you might ask yourself, you know, there's some people missing in this list. Because if you remember, the first people that saw the resurrected Christ were women. And none of the women are mentioned in this list. And, you know, a lot of times people want to ask, well, why aren't the women mentioned in this list? You know, because Paul is some male chauvinist, I'm sure. You know, the same guy that wrote that wives should submit to their husbands and all this. No, you know, here's why I believe that Paul did not write in the women. Because here's what you need to understand. Other than John, the women were the only ones who stood by Christ. The women were the only ones who were not afraid, who did not flee, who did not forsake Christ. In fact, Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, the only people that have the guts to stand by him are women. And so they're left out of the list, not because they're not eyewitnesses, but because they're not unlikely eyewitnesses. See, we're, going, we're refuting the fact that people have lied about the resurrection, and these women were so gutsy, and these women were so bold, that Paul is realizing, if anybody would have lied about the resurrection, it would have been these women. So let's leave them out, and let's just focus on the coward that quit on Jesus, and the twelve that fled on Jesus, and the guy that was trying to stop the movement of Jesus. He's given us a list here of unlikely eyewitnesses, people who we would not expect to be eyewitnesses, and realizing that there's proof in the fact that these people who quit on God, did not believe in God, were not followers of Christ, were against Christ, after they saw the resurrected Savior, they came out boldly proclaiming and witnessing for Christ. Go to Acts, just real quickly. Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. See, these guys were quitters, deniers, forsakers. They were naysayers. The brothers never believed it. No matter how many people he resurrected, no matter how many people he healed, no matter how many miracles he did, never believed it. They were silent. They were quiet. They were persecutors. But yet, these are the men that the Bible tells us turned the world upside down. And here's what you need to understand. The theme of the book of Acts, when you study the preaching of the book of Acts, the preaching of the book of Acts has one theme, and it is the resurrection of Christ. Acts chapter number 2, let's just look at it real quickly. Acts chapter number 2, and look down at verse... Number, let's see where I want you to start. Look at verse number 22, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Notice the quitter, the guy that was afraid to stand up to a maid, says this, 
Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Notice, the guy who had quit is now standing up and he saying, you killed him, God raised him, I saw it. I'm a witness to tell you that it was true. Notice, flip over to chapter number 3. Chapter number 3. Look at verse number 13. The God of Abraham and our and of Isaac and of Jacob, God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One, the Just One, and desired a murder to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And, and you could go through the entire book of Acts and find that they are constantly affirming the fact that, that he was resurrected, that God resurrected him. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Notice the theme of the book of Acts is that they preached the resurrection. And here's what you need to understand. Go back to Acts chapter 15. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul begins by explaining to us the reliability of of the resurrection. The reliability of the resurrection is that there were eyewitnesses. There was Cephas, and there was the twelve, and there was the five hundred, and there was James, and there was uh, the apostles, and there were, uh, uh, and then last of all, he was seen of Paul himself. And here's what you need to understand, and I, I think that this is something that is missed by most Christians today. And most Christians today don't really understand this, and I really want you to grasp this. Notice verse 11. He says, therefore, whether it were I or they, notice what he says, we, so, so we preach and so ye believe. He said, look, we're preaching the gospel, you believe the gospel. And here's what you need to understand. The eyewitness accounts, the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Christ, please understand this, means that we do not have blind faith. We, you know, people often accuse us as Christians saying, oh, you guys just believe in blind faith. You just believe, you know, whatever that book says, you believe. But here's what you need to understand. And some of you are going to think that this is heresy or something, but please listen to what I'm saying. The basis of the Christian life is the resurrection. See, when you got saved, nobody walked up to you and said, let me explain to you about the walls of Jericho. Let me tell you the story of Jericho. They explained to you the story of Jericho. They asked you questions, made sure you understood it. Then they said, do you believe that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down? Do you believe that? Okay, let's pray. I mean, if somebody did that to you, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not saved, right? Because that's not the gospel. See, nobody walked up to you and said, let me explain to you about the, 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 the Red Sea being parted you know, Moses stood out there with a staff, and let me explain to you about the rest. See, nobody walked up to you and explained to you anything about the Old Testament or even the New Testament. When you got saved, what they explained to you was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why are we Christians today? Because we've chosen to believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But why do we believe? 
in the resurrection of Christ. Because that's what we were taught as children. Now, please understand something. I think that's what we should teach our children. But if that's our argument, then Muslims are right. If that's our argument, then Buddhists are right. If our argument is, is what we were taught as children, then anybody who gets taught anything as a child is right. You say, why do we believe in the resurrection? Well, let me ask you this. How did God expect us to believe in the resurrection? And here's what you need to understand. He gave us a detailed account of eyewitnesses. Why? Because the eyewitness account means that we don't have to have blind faith. Now, we do have to have faith, but not blind faith. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 3. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins. Notice, notice these words. According to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. See, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ had been predicted for hundreds and even thousands of years before it happened. And Jesus fulfilled it according to the Scriptures. And it was confirmed by eyewitnesses. Look at verse 6. After that, we have seen, uh, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once. Notice what it says. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are falling asleep. Some are falling asleep is a way of saying they're dead. He's saying, look, the 500 people that saw him at once, most of those people are still alive. What is Paul saying? Here's what Paul's saying. Fact check me. You don't believe that Cephas saw the resurrected Christ? Ask him. He's still alive. You don't believe that James did not believe on Christ till he watched his brother died and then saw him resurrected three days later? Ask him. He's still alive. He said, these people, see, the story of Christ was not fabricated hundreds or thousands of years after the event. You know, people began to tell stories about this Messiah. No, while the eyewitnesses were still alive, these things began to be documented and while they could be verified. So you say, why do we believe in the resurrection of Christ? Well, because eyewitnesses wrote reliable accounts of Christ's death and resurrection while they could still be confirmed by other eyewitnesses. And because the fact that it came, made it out of the first century proves to us that it was true. You say, well, why do we believe the Old Testament? Well, here's why I believe the Old Testament. You say, why do you believe in Adam and Eve? Here's why I believe in Adam and Eve, because Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. Because Jesus talked about Adam as being a real man. Why do I believe in Moses? Well, because Jesus verified the teachings of Moses, and he believed in Moses, and he taught the teachings of Moses. Why do we believe? But here's what you understand. We don't believe it just because someone told us or because it's written in the Bible. We are Christians because of the resurrection, and the resurrection affirms everything else. It is the resurrection that saves us. It is the resurrection that keeps us. And it is the resurrection that gives us the hope of our resurrection. Why do we believe it? Because it was documented by eyewitnesses who wrote reliable accounts of Christ's death and resurrection. And they wrote it not after all the eyewitnesses were dead, but while the eyewitnesses were still alive to verify it. And you find this all throughout Scripture. Let's, let's look at some verses on it. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. If you start at the end of the New Testament and turn, head back, you're going to go past Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John into the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 16. This, this eyewitness account thing is found throughout Scripture. Let me just give you some examples of it. 2 Peter 1, 16. See, God never expected us to believe it just because we were told it. He expected us to believe it. He called these people to be witnesses of what they had seen. 2 Peter 1, 16 says this. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. Notice what Peter said. 
Notice what an eyewitness account wrote. He, wrote, he said this, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He says, we have not followed, the word cunningly means deceitful or evasive. He said, we, we did not fall for deceitful, evasive, you know, devised fables. What does the word devised mean? It means invented. He said, we didn't fall for a deceitful, invented fable or story. He said, we didn't fall, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but, notice what he says, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, if you would have asked Peter, why do you believe in Jesus? He would have said, I believe in Jesus because I saw him die. And then I had breakfast with him on a beach three days later. Because I was an eyewitness of the resurrection. Go to Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter number one. Notice what Luke wrote in chapter number one and verse one. Luke, when Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, did he write it expecting people to just believe it blindly just because he said it? Well, notice what he said in Luke chapter one and verse one. He says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. He says, There are some things that are most surely believed among us, among our group. He said, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were, don't miss this, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, more excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. If you would have asked Luke, Luke, why do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Because Luke was not one of the original apostles. He was not one of the twelve. He was not, as far as we know, he was not there for the ministry of Christ. But based on what Luke said, if you would have asked Luke, Luke, why do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? He would have said, because I sat down and spoke to the eyewitnesses about it. He said, I, verse 2, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And, Paul, and Luke said, in fact, I took the time to get all of their stories and to write them down in order as an account, not as a story, not as a fable, but as an account of what happened here. And he said, and, I, and, and Paul said, and it was done while the eyewitnesses were still alive to verify it. Now, there are some attempts to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And I want to just quickly give you some of these thoughts. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter number 28, and look at verse number 11. The first attempt to try to disprove the resurrection, there are three major attempts to try to disprove the resurrection of Christ. The first attempt is actually found in Scripture, and it's the they stole the body theory. So people will often say, who don't believe in the resurrection, they'll say, oh, the disciples just stole the body. And in fact, this is mentioned in Scripture, Matthew 28, look at verse 11. Matthew 28, 11 says this, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all of the things that were done. This is after the resurrection. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. Because obviously, you know, you're going to get in, uh, in trouble for sleeping on the job. 
So they took the money and did as they taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So in Matthew, we're told about this lie that began to be spread immediately, this lie that the disciples stole the body of Christ. Now, the book of Matthew tells us that that's not the case, but you know, you could say, well, yeah, but Matthew's got, you know, he's got a dog in the fight, right? He's on that side, so can we really believe what he's saying? Okay, but here's what you need to understand. Let's say it was true that the disciples stole the body. You know, let's say that it was true that the guards all, you know, even though they're getting paid to set a watch, they're getting paid to be up all night and guard the body, they all decided to fall asleep, and the disciples came in and stole the body by night. Here's what you need to understand. Today, many people will die for a lie that they don't know is a lie. You understand what I just said? People die for lies all of the time. You know, you've got Muslims that will blow themselves up. They died for a lie, but they don't know it's a lie. They believe it's true. Why? Because they have the same faith that a lot of you have. Well, it's just what I grew up with. It's what I was taught my whole life. And they don't know it's a lie, and they die for a lie. But please understand this. People die all the time for lies they don't realize are lies, but nobody dies for a lie that they made up. See, Jesus predicted that Peter would be put to death, that, G- that Peter would be dragged off somewhere where he would not want to go. And if you study the history books outside of Scripture, like Fox's Book of Martyrs, we are told that all of these disciples ended up being martyred, all of them except for John, who was suffered a lot of persecution. He tells us that in the book of Revelation. He says that he suffered persecution along with and tribulation along with the other believers. But history tells us that all of the disciples and all of those first Christians ended up dying. And here's what you need to understand. People die for a lie they don't realize is a lie all the time. But people don't die for a lie they made up. So if they would have stole the body and lied about it, maybe, but would they die for that lie? It's unlikely. Now, their children and grandchildren who've been taught this their whole lives might die for a lie they did not know was a lie, but people don't generally die for a lie they made up. So the whole they stole the body theory just goes out the window a little bit when you realize that all of these men were beaten and imprisoned and suffered huge persecution, and many of them were put to death as a result of them not being willing to say, okay, you're right, he didn't resurrect. In fact, they all died just because they believed and they proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. So did they die for a lie that they made up? Probably not. There's another theory to try to disprove the resurrection, and that's the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory is that the disciples just all hallucinated Jesus, right? And here's the problem with that, okay? The problem with that is that Jesus was at times seen by individuals. Remember, Mary saw him at the tomb, and she was by herself. But many times, he was seen by multiple people. Like, for example, on the road to Emmaus, remember, the two disciples saw him at the, t- at the same time. So were those two guys just having the same hallucination at the same time? How about when they were seeing, when you've seen a 500 brethren at once, did all 500 people have the same hallucination? How about when he appeared to the disciples in the upper room, did they all hallucinate that they saw Jesus? But wait, Thomas wasn't there, so they paused the hallucination, wait till next week when Thomas is there, then they all restart the hallucination again for the benefit of Thomas. Is that what happened? 
I mean, if they all hallucinated that Jesus, you know, resurrected from the grave, then here's the problem with that. There's a really easy way to solve the problem. Because remember, this movement takes off. These guys are filled with boldness and begin to go out into the city of Jerusalem and saying, you killed him, God resurrected him, we saw it. You killed him, God resurrected him, we witnessed it. And this movement begins to grow. And many believers, people begin to believe it. Why? Because all the eyewitnesses are still alive. And there's a really easy way to solve the hallucination problem. Somebody just rolls the stone from the tomb and says, he's right there. His body's there. You are all on LSD or acid or something. You're all having the same, you know, community hallucination, but he's right there. But you know why that was never, the fact that his body was in the tomb was never used as a way to stop this movement? Because his body was not in the tomb. Because he resurrected from the grave. So there's the, they stole his body theory. Well, the problem with that is that people don't generally die for lies they made up. And there's the hallucination theory. The problem with that is that they all would have had to have the same hallucination at the same time, and it would have been really easy to prove that all of these people are on drugs by just removing the stone and showing that his body was there. But there's a third attempt to disprove the resurrection, and that's the, he wasn't really dead theory. That he wasn't really dead. He just went into some sort of a coma. They thought he was dead. Okay, there's a couple of problems with that. Go with me to Mark chapter number 15 and look at verse number 42. Mark chapter 15 and verse 42. Here's what you need to understand. The Romans were a well-oiled killing machine. The Romans did not invent, invent the crucifixion. Crucifixion and dying and putting people to death on the cross was invented by the Greeks, but it was perfected by the Romans. The Romans became very good at taking a man's life in the most slow and painful way possible. These people were experts when it came to killing and specifically when it came to killing through a crucifixion. In Mark chapter six, uh, 15 and verse 42... The Bible says this, And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. Why did Pilate marvel that he was already dead? Because Pilate knew exactly how long these things took. Now, of course, Jesus was beaten and, you know, tortured before he was crucified. So that played a part in it. But he marveled that he was already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. They say, oh, you know, he wasn't really dead. Here's the problem with that. Pilate had them double check. He said, madam... Surprise, he's already dead. Can you go check again? Notice verse 42. And when he knew it of the centurion, when the centurion came back and said, oh yeah, he's dead, then he gave Joseph of Arimathea the body. He gave the body to Joseph. And keep in mind, these are killing machines. These people, it's not like you and I, you know, hopefully you and I, who have never killed anyone, and we'd be like, I don't know, is he really dead? These people knew what they were doing. They knew that he was dead. But let's say he wasn't dead. 
You know, you mean to tell me that Jesus was in the tomb, not dead, in some sort of a coma. He, he gained, regained consciousness, removed the stone himself, you know, karate chopped all of the guards there, and ran off, and just did that by himself with no help. I, I think it's a little far-fetched. You know, here's the truth. The Romans knew what they were doing, and Jesus was dead. And what happened three days later? He resurrected Amen. from the grave. He came back from the dead. So look, when it comes to the resurrection of Christ, we don't have to sit there and wonder, is the Bi- I wonder if the Bible's true. I wonder if, if, if the Word of God is true. I, I wonder if all of this is true. Maybe this is all cunningly devised fables. Here's the thing. I don't have to wonder or worry about whether Adam and Eve really existed. You know why? Because Jesus believed Adam and Eve existed. And Jesus fulfilled prophecy that came hundreds of years before. Jesus predicted his own death, his own burial, his own resurrection. And when someone predicts their death, burial, and resurrection and pulls it off, you know what you do? You just got to go with whatever they say. And if, he, if, if, if Adam and Eve, if, if the creation story is good enough for Jesus, you know what? It's good enough for me. Amen. And if Moses is good enough for, for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Amen. And if Noah, you, people say, oh, the story of Jonah being swallowed by a whale. That could never happen. Well, here's the problem with that. Jesus spoke about Jonah being swallowed by the whale. So if Jesus believes it, guess what? It's good enough for me. You say, why do you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus the same reason Luke believes in Jesus, the same reason Peter believed in Jesus, the same reason the disciples believe in Jesus. We don't have to believe. See, it's not blind faith. Now, it is faith, but it's not blind faith. It's actually eyewitnessed faith. Say, Pastor Mendes, why do you believe in the resurrection? I believe in the resurrection of Christ because eyewitnesses wrote reliable accounts of Christ's death and resurrection while there were other eyewitnesses alive to verify the fact. And the fact that it was not disproven, and the fact that it took off, the fact that people began to believe it, the fact that it made it out of the first century and we're still talking about it today, proves that it really happened and proves that it's real. So why do we, so do we have to, you know, just wonder and hope that he resurrected? No, you know, there's, Paul sets out to explain to us the reliability of the resurrection. Why? Because eyewitnesses wrote reliable accounts. Eyewitnesses account arose, wrote reliable accounts that were fact-checked by men like Luke, that were fact-checked by men like Paul. Eyewitnesses wrote reliable accounts of the death, life, ministry, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they wrote it not after all the eyewitnesses were dead, not hundreds of years later. They wrote it while the eyewitnesses were still alive to be able to confirm those stories. And I'm not telling you that, that that's why we should believe it. I'm telling you that's what God, that's why God tells us we should believe it. Because God made sure to write down and tell us there were eyewitnesses for these events. So, look, we, we have reliability. There's reliability in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, when you teach your children about the resurrection, it's okay to tell them, you know, it's because that's what the Bible says. But make sure you le- don't leave out the fact that we believe what the Bible says because Jesus believed what the Bible says. And we believe what Jesus says because he died and resurrected from the grave. And we believe that he died and resurrected from the grave 
because eyewitnesses wrote reliable accounts that were documented for you and I, not hundreds of years later, but while eyewitnesses were still alive, to be able to confirm and verify that these things were so. It's the reliability of the resurrection. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that you do not expect us to be mindless, brainless followers. We must have faith.